everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show The Haunting of Hill House. Today we'll be covering the sixth episode from Netflix TV series The Haunting of Hill House titled Two Storms. What a good one. Got that family together, didn't yes. we? Oh, I love this episode. <laughs> this was a probably of like cinematic drama. I felt like this was like this was like a movie. Like you could have yes. put this out as a movie. And I, I really, really dug it. Very good, and I agree 100%, and I'm really anxious to talk about this one. So without further ado, um, Sean, why don't you get us started on your top five this week? All right, so my number five, I want to start out with just the continuous shot that they have done. They did this episode in. So yeah, it took me a little bit to, to catch on to that's what they were doing. Because uh, a lot of times when you watch shows, you're kind of like focusing on like what's happening in the show. You're looking at stuff, and about maybe four or five minutes into it, I realized I'm like, holy cow, they're doing one continuous shot in this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie with, uh, I think it's called The Bird or Birdman with uh, uh, I heard of it, Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yeah. Yep. It's shot in that way where it's like one continuous shot. And really? Yeah. And I know there's tricks to it. Uh, Daredevil's done it too where they have like a big one continuous shot fight. Mm-hmm. And, there, and I know there's there's camera tricks and stuff that like this one continuous shot, there could have been breaks in it. They are just so subtle that you couldn't see it. Um I'm not. I don't know the the specific tricks, but I know if like you have everybody positioned in the exact same spot, and like let's say somebody messed up, you can come back to that spot, and you could probably cut right there, and it would look like it's still one smooth transition. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever seen. There's a video somewhere, and I don't remember what, if this was for a movie or what, but it was a, a one continuous shot, and they showed an overhead video of it as they're filming it. Oh. And the the shot was from like this girl, like it was like over like um, six months of her life. So it was kind of like a quick like two or three minute scene where you see her coming in and out of mm-hmm. her apartment. And, you know, the apartment would change. The TV would change. I think she actually aged is how it was. So she started out like maybe a kid and grew up. And so like the TV had changed to an older TV. And you see like as the camera moves to focus on something else, a bunch of people that run, you know, behind the scenes stuff were, you know, hurry up and switching out couches, switching out, you know, backdrops, switching out TVs. And oh, it was really, really cool. And as you watch this, like it's very you know interesting, especially when the dad comes in because you see that kind of focus on him, and then you see the younger kids come into frame, mm-hmm. and then it flips back out, and you see it's the older people, and they and there are certain things that happen with the casket too, where you know it it came off the casket for just a second, and if this was truly one continuous shot, that's where you would see them kind of pull out like okay, we're going to pull you know old nail out, bring young nail in, and and let it run through there. Uh, so I thought that was really, really clever and really, really cool. And I, I just enjoyed how they did it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's any news about it in this that you found. Yes. Um, and I, and I, cool. Cause I'm really curious to see if it truly was one continuous shot or what they discussed on it. But, but yes. what were your thoughts on how this one was, uh, filmed? Oh gosh. I, you know, I, I'm going to admit, I'm, I'm a, I love film. I love TV and I've been a fan of it all like as far as I can remember, but I'm not very technical. It's not like I'm in the mix of it and I know all the technical terms or I understand all the technical side of it. But 
I know when I see a shot like that, how how different it is and the effort that it takes. So I do understand that part. And it took me a couple minutes when I first started the episode to kind of realize that that's what they were doing. And then I realized, oh, I love that because, it, you know, you got to see like how the camera would be on one character and how it would just shift and it would be going like down the wall of the funeral home into the hallway mm-hmm. where the door was and a new character would come in like Luke and, and Steve showing up. And then when the dad shows up and it just, I was like, oh my gosh. And then that's when I realized what they were doing. So I like that you brought that up because that's actually my number four. And um, so I really thought it was beautiful the way that the camera moved around and it would go like in a circle and you felt like you were really there in the room yeah. or in the scene. You like, you're just over the shoulder of the characters or you're standing right next to them or you're right there while it's all happening because it was really dramatic. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of drama happening in this episode. And I think that it just really, I think brought that drama even more like it made it to me, it made even more of an impact and made it more interesting um, with the drama happening the way that the camera uh work was taking place. Um, well, I know typically, so whenever, you, and I, I've only done like three short films and they're all super amateur. And uh, I showed one to a kid that I know that was going to school for that kind of thing. And the first thing he kind of told me I was doing wrong is I was, I guess there, I don't know what the term is for it, but a lot of times you try to do like a stage presentation. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're going over like somebody's right shoulder, you go over the other person's left shoulder because you want to keep that fourth wall essentially, just oh. like if it's on a stage. So you kind of yeah. go, you don't go behind them. You don't go, you know, because it makes the audience a little bit dizzy, I guess, the way he explained it. Mm-hmm. But like in this way, the way it was done, like you said, you felt like you're there. And I think that's what gives it a little bit of realism because, you know, as a person, if you were in this room, you wouldn't be doing a, you know, stage style back and forth when you're watching this. You may go and get a drink or you may go and get some food or you may go to the other side of the room or somebody may come from the other side of the room mm-hmm. and your focal point that you're looking is going to change. Um, as you were talking about that, I didn't really think about this till just now, though. Like you said, you felt like you were there, like you were in this room. I wonder if this is supposed to kind of be like Nell, like maybe this is Nell watching all this stuff happen. Like from her perspective, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that, it's, I like that. It, I think that's possible. I mean, there's a I few holes. I don't know if that was on purpose, but. Because I know when there's a big shot of the family, she's kind of standing in the background. Mm-hmm. So that's may, that may not be factual because of that. You could argue like, well, obviously right there, that that breaks that puts a hole in your theory. But um, to, to some effect, it feels like it kind of might have been her watching this happen. I think that is a very good thought um, and insight because we know she's there. Yeah. Uh, and she's making herself known. And it, it's like she's there watching all of this happen. Um, I think there's also a good op- theory that it, not only from Nell's perspective, but maybe the ghost of Olivia <laughs> could yeah. potentially, because Hugh's talking to her, right? I mean, when that's, he's... Uh, that's further down in <laughs> mine, and I'm super curious about yeah, that. Yeah, we don't have to go into that, but I mean, that that's if you're going to think about Nell being the one that's kind of there watching this and that she's there the whole time, um, it, it's... Because we saw her in the the last episode in Bitneck Lady when the shot of Nell when she's dancing with Steven and she looks over at her dad and Olivia's yeah. you know standing um, right behind him with her hands on her shoulder. Well, I mean, even in this one when Steve looks towards the the casket, he sees her. Yeah. So I I think that it, it puts you there, and yeah, I think that's also a good good thought to think that um, it could be Nell standing there watching them as well, and maybe even Olivia at some point. 
That's who I think he's talking to. But we'll definitely get into that. But this, I really, really liked all of that. I think the cinematography was just really great. And it wasn't just the camera work. It wasn't just, you know, all the folks working behind the scenes to get this just right. But think of the actors. Oh, like, yeah. There could be no mess ups. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to know their lines. They had to be in their spaces, like whatever. I guess they're called marks. You got to be on your mark, you know, for that shot, for it to work in one continuous, you know, a shot as the cameras are moving around. Everybody's got to be in a certain, certain spot. Um, and I think that this episode was just really, I think, just a masterpiece in general, not just oh, for the series, but I think just in in TV um, altogether. It was it was beautiful and. This really, I love this so much because I just watched, and I know I talked about it before. I don't remember which episode, and I'm probably not going to shut up about it anytime soon because so, I'm kind of obsessed, and I apologize to all the listeners for continuously bringing it up. But I just finished um, season one of True Detective. Oh, yeah, yeah. I won't spoil anything, but there is um, a scene in episode four of True Detective that is just like this. Um, that it is one long, continuous shot, and it is an amazing mastery of filmmaking um, awesome and it yeah, was wonderful it, it's been a minute since i've seen the first season of true detective i haven't seen season two i think they're coming out with a season three pretty soon season three's coming up so yeah. I, I know season two didn't get a lot of hype or a lot of praise yeah. i guess but no a lot of people didn't like i haven't watched it because i just finished um season one just a little about a week ago or so so and i'm still not over it. i'm still kind of <laughs> needing to talk yeah, about it and i need to process it was so damn good that's a messed impactful. up show when it gets to the end of it for sure it, it was it definitely i highly encourage all of our listeners if you haven't i know i'm kind of late because it came out in 2014 so i realized that i'm late it just it was just one of those things that it just i wanted to watch it it just there was always something else happening and i just yeah. didn't get to it so but there's that's what it reminded me of especially since i'm just fresh off of the the season this episode and the scene that happens was i was just blown away like not i mean the whole damn series was great but this scene i was just like whoa look at what they're doing and it just really made an impact and speaking of true detective uh, the director of true detective uh, was Kerry fukunaga who directed maniac oh nice yeah yeah yeah, so he pulled off this scene in uh, True Detective, which I thought was definitely worth mentioning because that was amazing. But also because it was Kerry Fukunaga, who was also an amazing director, who um, did Maniac, the show that we just came off of. And thinking of that, this was not a really, really long take, but I feel it kind of was. Wasn't there, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who, who may be listening who hasn't watched Maniac yet. Why haven't you watched Maniac yet? Um, wasn't there a hallway scene? Towards the end, I, and I don't want to give too much away because I'm scared I'm going to I can't um, remember. spoil it for someone. But there was, there, I thought, in one of the last episodes, there is um, Emma Stone and Jonah Hill going down a hallway. No, and there's I some think action, so, yeah. and it seemed like it was one long continuous yeah, yeah. shot. I think there was a lot of spots where there was nobody moving, which I think maybe mm-hmm. why I didn't. And we might have talked about it, I can't remember, but you know, with stuff like with the continuous shot, if you have where everybody is stationary, if you can get that shot, mm-hmm. because then it, you know, even if like they slightly move a little bit, you can't really tell if it's like a frame, like a like one frame later. Right. And with like stuff like that, they have the lighting perfect and very consistent, so you can't really see those inconsistencies. But like in this one, there's always somebody moving in the scene, and yeah. You know, and not only did they do it here, they also did it in Hill House, like with the kids, like those kid actors. You know, yeah. it was that was very much shot in a one continuous shot kind of format. 
And I love that you got to see these transition between the two because it wasn't just a hard cut. You know, I love that the dad, he's in there, he comes in, he walks up to the casket, he sees young Nell, and he goes to the bathroom and it just slowly starts to turn into Hill House. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I'm watching that, I'm thinking like, oh shit, like he's going back in time, like something's going to happen to him. Chandelier falls and he completely disappears from the scene. And it is just old, uh, our young uh, dad and kids. And, you know, it cuts into a good 10 or 15 minute scene with the parents from and the family from when they're at Hill House, which I thought was really, really cool. So yeah, I love so those they transitions. It there. Yeah, I love the transitions back and forth between the two. Oh, it was so good. I mean, they already do a really great job, you know, when they're cutting between present day and uh, the young, uh, mm-hmm. the, the kids that when they're at Hill House, their time there from present day, those cuts that they have in the editing is already fantastic. But yeah. this was so seamless. And I'm telling you, Mike Flanagan is going to become one of my new um, favorite directors. Yeah, especially. This was so good. Directing every one of these episodes is awesome. So, yeah, my number five is just that continuous shot in the cinematography that we got to see in this episode. So good. Truly a master um, for any show. Um, So, yeah, that was really good. That was my number four. Well, my number five is I just want to talk a little bit about Nell. It's going to be kind of short and sweet because we did talk a lot about her um, in the last episode, clearly, since that was very Nell-centric. But now that we know Nellie is the bentneck lady, uh, from what we learned and from watching her from that episode until now, when we see the bent neck lady, did your feelings kind of shift from when you saw her before to seeing yeah. her now? It was definitely not, I wasn't scared. Were you no, scared I'm to see her? It, it, it went from being scared and like, oh my gosh, this like something bad's going to happen to mm-hmm. sympathetic. Yeah. I was very, I was very sad. I was, uh, I had like tremendous empathy towards her and sadness now that we know the truth. And so it definitely, I like how we got that. We're made to feel that shift. Mm-hmm. Like when we always saw her before, I was always super scared, you know, especially in the first episode, she's hovering over young Nell and it's scared the shit out of me when she'd be at the end of her bed. And now we see her and all you can feel is just sadness. Um, and I thought it was so, so sad. And, you know, we hear her say at the end, uh, young now, I was right here the whole time and you didn't see oh, me. Why yeah. can't you see me? And it's like, she's there at the funeral and it's like, she's saying the same thing. I'm right yeah. here. Why can't you see me? Um, just like when she was little and, yep. you know, she was there and you can see. So I just thought, you know, it, it just really got me and. I felt so sad in in that moment and it just made me really sad for Nell. And I think, do you think that she was the one that pushed the coffin over? I think so. I think it was kind of a situation where they were arguing. It got, I mean, it got super heated. I mean, anytime somebody says like the wrong parent died, you know, I've heard that in a handful of different um, movies and TV shows where like, Sometimes it's, you know, a kid being like, oh, you're just mad because the wrong kid died or, you know, Mm -hmm. a parent's like the wrong parent died or you're just mad because the wrong parent died. And those always like cut to the bone whenever like that's a that's a very much like very hard to come back from comment. And I feel like when he said that, when Steve said that it was Nell being like, you you know, just shut the fuck up, everybody. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like cut it out, people. Yeah. And, you know, you see it fall and then the lights come back on to me was just, I mean, if this family, especially Steve, if this family doesn't realize like something unnatural is not going on, mm-hmm. you, you can't explain this. I mean, a casket falling, like how many times has that happened ever at a funeral? 
Exactly. I mean, less than 1%. I mean, because if that happens at your funeral home, guess what? You're getting a bad Yelp review. No kidding. And nobody's going to go there ever again. Had a bad experience. Wouldn't recommend. (laughs) So we're at Pop Pop's funeral and uh, all of a sudden it just collapsed and he fell out. And, you know, my kids scarred for the rest of their life. No kidding. Yeah, I I couldn't even imagine if there were children uh, present. Uh, uh, when that happened, I mean, but yeah, I, I feel that that was kind of the feeling I got was that that was now because you know, uh, I think she kind of wanted the family to be together, and now here they are together. Which of course this was not her intent to bring them together, but in in life, I feel that's what she wanted to do was have them together, yeah. and then here they've come together, and all they can do is bicker and argue and snap at each other and blame each other, and and I think that was her way to like break up that moment because yeah. Steven was at his dad again. And I think it was, you know, her way of trying to, to break that up. But it just made me really sad to see, cause like, this whole thing is about Nell or, well, it's about the family, but we're there at that moment because of Nell and, and her death and um, finding out that she's haunted herself the entire time. And it just made it more sad because she's present. She's showing herself to her dad constantly. Um, he's, he sees her, but no one else sees her. She's trying to make herself known like i think she brought i don't know that she didn't bring on the storm but like the lights going out i think she threw her coffin on the floor i think she was trying to you know make her herself known so just a little short and sweet gotta mention nell again she just such a tragic character and really broke my heart that she's like the sweetest one out of the group and then um that happened to her. Yeah. Well, I mean, even after everything happened, the, the coffin fell and they moved it, which was very much kind of reminiscent of the, uh, the chandelier scene. Cause dad asked the two boys to help move it. Although Luke wasn't there to help with the chandelier, but he was there to help with the casket. Mm-hmm. And then as everybody leaves, she's left alone. I know. You know Just with, staring at everyone. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if she ex- is experiencing pain or anything like that, but, you know, if 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 that's how you have to live out your eternal life, like I imagine, it's just uh, like so much sympathy for for that character and that that yeah. situation for her. I know. I don't think she's probably in pain, but I think she's suffering um, and stuck, stuck in this loop. I don't know if she'll find peace to come. I hope she does. That's it's one thing that I hope for her to come at the end of the series is she somehow finds peace and is able to move on because I feel like she's stuck. Yeah. Oh, anyway, that's my number five. What's your, I covered my number four. What's your number four? Uh, my number four, so we alluded to it a little bit, and it was interesting because the first time he did this, I was kind of like, did he just do what I think he did? And Steve, I think, kind of said, like, oh, great, you're talking to yourself again, but... It's mm-hmm. just the dad is talking to something or someone. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple times he's peeking back and like he's having a discussion. And it seems like a very parental discussion with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, like I think it's probably his wife. It's the mom. Uh, one weird random thought that went through my head is, and I don't think this is true because of the the hostility that the dad has shown, but you know, what if the mother is somehow being able to take over the dad? You know, like oh. they're kind of sharing this vessel to an extent. Uh-huh. Um, not sure. Nothing's really kind of giving me proof to that. That's um, a good theory. It just seemed kind of like, it just, I don't know. Just just the thought, just a theory. Curious what you think of that. But 
Um, mostly just again, like who's he talking to? Is he, you know, is he just crazy? Um, or is Olivia kind of attached to him and riding along through this life with him? I think she's attached to him in some form. I don't know. I think that a, um, a possession type thing is not a terrible thought because we've seen things or not seen like in real life, but you know, we've seen plenty of movies like that, right. Where people do attach themselves and, and, you know, they're able to go into, uh, you know, and occupy the same body or whatever. Uh, but he certainly looked crazy doing it. But I think that you just have to kind of throw some of what you know out the window and, and go into this series with open mind, especially when you deal with some, something as bizarre as Hill House and some of the crazy things happening there. Um, I think, though, he's talking to the ghost of Olivia since we did see her at the wedding, um, at Nell's wedding, and just kind of a reminder for Nell that her mom missed out on her big day. I bet he's talking to her. He sees Nell. He sees the bent neck lady. Yeah. And, um, which is what? Nell. I don't know if we could still call her a bent neck lady, but he, he sees Nell and I, th- I think he sees his wife. I think he's talking to her. Cause like you said, they're, he's talking to her in a parental like type way. Like you, like you talk to your spouse, you know? Do you think that he knows that the bent neck before she ends up dying, that the bent neck lady is Nell? Because when he sees her at the, the funeral home, uh-huh. He's not scared. Like to me, he he looks he's looks more like longing at it, and then he walks towards it. I think he didn't know until after Nell killed herself, um, and he learned how she died because mm. he he knew I guess a little bit more than the others because he talked to Mrs. Dudley. He said, "Yeah," um, and and found out that she had hung herself by dying because all the other siblings just knew that she killed herself, but they didn't know how. Yeah. Um, Except know a lot Shirley. Of I'm sure she Surely she knew, I think, because she talked to, co- to the coroner and of course she worked on her. So she knew her neck was broken. She did say that before their father got there and she's like, yeah, she, her neck was broken. She hung herself, but they didn't know where or anything like that as far as she knew. So, and then Luke, of course, piped up. He goes, her neck, you know, after she said neck was uh, broken because, mm. you know, he'd been grabbing his neck and his neck was really sore and hurting. Um, in uh, the twin thing episode after Nell had, had killed herself and he could feel that. Um, so she knew that much. And I think that uh, he was able to piece that together, that finding out that uh, Nell was the bent neck lady all along. And he's probably really freaking out about that. And how is that possible that she can haunt herself and travel through time to, to see Nell as a child and to be there today. But I think it was probably after her death he was able to piece it together because he didn't, he, he wasn't scared when he saw her. He was, he looked really sad cause he was like, Oh Nell, you know, and just kind of looked at her like all sad yeah. and stuff. So I think he pieced it together after it's my thought. Yep. So my number four is kind of what we're tying to is like, who's the dad talking to? I like it. Ugh, so much. We're, I need more. I need more. I don't know if they're going to be able to wrap this up. I hope they wrap this up in a satisfying yeah. way. Four episodes so. left, but yeah, this is, I think, uh, not to jump too far into like how this ranks of my episodes, but I, I'd probably say this is probably in my top five of what we've recovered. Uh, we, what we've covered for sure. Maybe even Definitely. top three. 
Definitely. This one, this one's definitely a good one. And I'm wish they'd hurry up and announce if they're going to do something with season two or not. We're still yeah. not there yet. Well, so I covered my number four. Why don't you go ahead and talk about your number three as well? I, uh, my number three, it's probably pretty short, but it's, it's the fact that the family's now together. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of see the family start walking in. Uh, my heart broke a little bit when they talked about Luke. Uh, yeah. Shirley and Theo were talking about, I was like, you know, it's like, oh, so he's relapsed because they're like, yes, yeah, he found him with his shoes off and on the street. And like, to me, like, it's, it's like, oh, they just don't know. And they don't trust to believe whatever he says. Yep. I love, and this, I mean, I think this is credit to the writing is that, you know, they could have left it at that and they, you'd be like, oh, well, they think he's a piece of shit kind of thing. But when he walks in and they see him and he walks out, like he doesn't look bad. Like, I mean, he looks like he got beat up, obviously. Yeah. And he leaves to get a sandwich or get a, a drink or something. Or I think, no, it's the moment he couldn't, he couldn't handle it. So he left. But they all kind of say is like, oh my gosh, like he doesn't look as bad as I was expecting him to. Mm-hmm. And Steve chimes in. It's like, yeah, I, th- I think he was clean. Like he seems like he was clean to me, which I think is huge for Steve to admit to. I mean, it's very yeah. subtle, very like Steve would be the guy to be like, no, he's he's a fucking junkie. Like, I wish I didn't even bring him. Right. Uh, but the the scene that really got me is when the dad first shows up and we pan on him. You know, he's talking to Shirley's husband, and then it pans back and he sees his kids as kids. I know. And like to me, I feel like that is a very parental thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always wonder. Like, you know, I I don't quite have that experience yet because my kid's still pretty young, but. Um, and maybe you can kind of chime in on this, but like, I'm always curious, like when my parents see me, like, do they see the five-year-old Sean and not the adult <laughs> Sean? Um, cause I'd imagine that you would, because I mean, as a parent, you would see like, oh my gosh, these are the kids. And he kind of looks back and he says, oh, I can't believe they're all grown up. Yeah. And it's, it's poetically, it's romantically tragic to an extent because you know, he hasn't seen them for so long. This family is really broken. This freaking house is probably part of it, even though it was probably a pretty fragile family to begin with. But to get to that point, and I think that's probably an age thing. Is like when you get to a certain age, you start thinking like, oh my gosh, like years are finite. And that's probably the most, he's like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm older. I only have so much time left. And yeah. then he's looking back like, oh my gosh, there's all this time that I probably should have used better. Uh <laughs> Yes. But oh man, but, but the family's back together. It ends up being a huge fight. There's a lot of secrets that get revealed. Uh and the the other line that kind of got me is they're sitting around, they're telling stories, and they're talking about uh Theo, I think, says it's like, well, Nell always wanted to get us back together. And Theo says something to the effect of like, well, she shouldn't have tried this hard. Yes. I have that in my notes is one of my um favorite lines was yeah, she says, um, it's up here somewhere. Oh, uh, that's funny. Nellie was always trying to get all of us together in one place. Even dad tried for years. And then Theo says someone should have told her she would have to try this hard. Yeah. It's sad. Which, I sad mean, honestly, true. like you think about it, like you say that and it's like all she had to do was call. But I know there, when, when, when are you almost guaranteed to get your entire family together? Yeah. It's usually at a funeral or something like this. You know, Funerals, if you're like, hey, weddings. Yeah, they were together for Nell, they were together yeah. for Nellie's wedding. But even then, Luke wasn't there for that. He got that's kicked true. out of it. That's true. Luke wasn't there. Because uh, that's interesting too. You think about like the the wedding. Shirley said, "No, Luke, go away. You're you're you know you're high right now. I don't want you thrown up at her funeral or at her wedding. But at her funeral, you know, he, she was going to let him come. She just said, "I hope he she doesn't he doesn't throw up on her." 
I know what a crass line to say, and I get that that's Theo's character, and I, and I can relate because I, I get where she's coming from. I feel like I got a little bit of Theo in me um, on most days, um, but it was kind of crass. Like, oh great, we get him when he's coming down. He go, yeah. travels this far to throw up on his dead sister. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. <laughs> it's, but I mean, but that's, it's you know, uh, I mean, those situations like the grief you're dealing with. I'm sure Shirley feels kind of guilty. I'm sure Theo feels a little guilty too, because you know she visited her and knew she was in, in a good spot, but left her there that way. Yeah. So it's, but again, you know, funeral brought all these people together. So I'm really curious. Yeah. Again, I'm glad we're covering these double weeks just because I really want to see what happens. Like I'm I super know. invested in this. Um, but we got the family together and ah. Uh, some more and stuff was, to add later on, but yeah, we're we're together now. Yeah, it we're together, and I I really like how because I think they were really clever in the way that they laid the story out. We got all of the siblings, and they each had their own centric um, episodes, and then we got to see when there was one sibling where they were focusing on one. We got to see the other siblings and how they interacted, and you got it from different perspectives. So I feel like we really have gotten to know these characters. So now mm-hmm. here we come together, you know, we get them all together in the same place. Um, and we see what happens when they're all together and you can feel for each one of them. I think, you oh, know, yeah. you can understand where each of them are coming from because now you care about them. Now we've had this opportunity to get to know them in different episodes and from different perspectives, from this sibling's perspective to their own centric episodes uh, where you kind of get to the core of that one character. So now we care about these, these characters. The only one we haven't got to see that much of at least the present day version. And that's Hugh. You know, we yeah. haven't spent a lot of time with present day Hugh. We've seen um, the younger version at Hill house. So I think we probably kind of know him a little bit, but I, I think clearly he's changed quite a lot mm-hmm. um, between the, the young Hugh that we see to the older version is not the same Hugh. Uh, clearly the th- things that happened at Hill house and that night that happened with his wife, um, have changed him uh, quite drastically, I think. But I I really like this episode because of that, because we you're invested in the characters and you know you care about them and you understand their perspectives and where they're coming from and 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 who they are because we saw them as kids and we saw what formed them as adults. Um, so I think that was really brilliant on the story um, teller's part uh, to to lay it out this way. Um, and I think that's a really good segue because um, – and you're right uh, to a certain degree. You kind of mentioned about my thoughts on if – you know, when, when Hugh walks in and he sees his kids um, as children, as young children, the way they were at Hill House. While it's not quite as dramatic for me, when I look at my daughter, she has grown. Um, but I, I kid, and I've said it before on the podcast, I kid with her and with people all the time that when I see her, I still see her as my three-year-old. You know, that was such a fun age. I mean, all of the ages that she was, was, was amazing, but three was such a fun age for us. And that's how, you know, I always see her. It's not quite as dramatic. I don't see her standing as tall as I am and literally see her that little three-year-old, but I do just think of her that way all the time. So I think you'll experience that as your little one continues to grow up as well, that, um, they just stay our babies. But I think a lot of that's because with Hugh, you know, he missed, I feel like on, missed out on their childhoods. It's like when, that night happened and he whisked his children away from Hill House and then they went and lived with their Aunt Janet. Where the hell was Hugh? Yeah. We yeah, don't the thing. know that yet. I kind of assume that they kind of maybe went back and forth, but it sounds like he almost dropped him off for 
a long period of time because we learn in this too that she would write letters to him about Santa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I mean, again, we don't know. Like, did maybe he ended up in jail over this, or maybe he, you know, lost his kids over this whole thing? We're not really sure. Yeah, we but, don't know. I'm hoping we find out. But that's what's but, interesting. I, I do agree. I love that they did the first five because if they sprinkled this episode in between the five with the other ones, mm-hmm. I think you would have some uh, pre decisions on these guys before you actually get to this. Like you, you'd form your opinions of them as you're seeing them interact together. Mm-hmm. And I like that you kind of form your opinion individually of the five. So that way, when this episode comes on, like you said, you do feel sympathetic for each of them because they all have their own problems. Right. I mean, imagine like if this was episode two, like you'd think Luke was a piece of shit probably. Exactly. You know, and then you'd start learning about Steve. It's like, oh my God, this dude had blood money that he sold this for. Like that seems shitty. Yeah. But, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I did too. So I, hopefully we'll get some more answers as to where, because I think that that shows that Hugh still kind of lives in the past a little bit because that's kind of like where his relationship ended with his kids. And that was after Hill House when whatever events happened, he... They go live with their Aunt Janet. I, they probably saw their dad, I'm guessing, from time to time. But it sounded to me like he just kind of went out of their lives for whatever reason. I'm hoping we'll find out. Um, so I think that's a big way. Not just that, oh, when we have grown children, we always see them as kids. I think that he really is kind of stunned to see them as grown-ups because he's like, I haven't been in your lives. And part of that is probably that they didn't want him there. And then um, – Maybe he was also protecting them. I don't know. But I think that that's probably some reasoning. It's it's my reasoning anyway. But I'm going to tag, tag on to that a little bit about what happens in this episode on my number three. And that's just in um, kind of a play on the title of this episode, Two Storms. I think you could kind of look at the title of this and, and kind of reference the storm that happens during Nellie's wake and also the storm at Hill House. But to me, it's I think one of the storms of the two storms represents the storm happening in this family. <laughs> right yeah, now. I, yeah. This was definitely a collision um, and a storm that has been brewing and has just now kind of exploded uh, now that they've come together and, and this con- conflict that they they all have with each other, with their father, because they all seem to have an issue with it. It seemed like the only one that didn't really have an issue with their dad um, is Nellie, and she's dead. And it seems like she's still trying to kind of keep the peace in, in a way like she was trying to do uh, during this funeral. Um, but we knew it was coming. We knew when we see the five episodes before this and we see little pieces, you knew this probably wasn't going to go very well. We already knew that the family, you know, doesn't care much for their father. He hasn't been truthful and open about what happened that night. Um, they're all mad at Steve, you know, about the book and the money and things like that. So, um, and then of course, Luke, they just see him, he has this disappointment, um, and it seems like Cheryl and Theo are, are the only ones that really see each other, like, mostly every day and tend to, yeah. for the most part, get along. Um, so, and then you think of how long it's been that they were together, Nellie's wedding, which, like you said, with the exception of Luke. So, I just, I kind of thought that that was interesting, was just, you know, kind of the take on the title of Two Storms that I feel like one of the storms was really happening inside that funeral home. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's kind of the the gist I was getting. Like you have the the actual storm that's going on, but it seems like, and I think you probably even have like a supernatural storm and like a just a normal family storm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two storms there. Like there's a lot of things you could probably easily put together. Is like okay, there's two 
tragic or two very complicated things going on inside of this story arc. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, so some of the arguments weren't really that interesting because we kind of already knew some of the stuff like, you know, they, they're angry at their dad for not being open about what really happened. Um, and, and Steve, of course, is blaming their dad for it. Um, you have uh, Shirley upset, of course, about the money thing that we've we've already heard about. So there wasn't a lot of interesting, at least as far as that argument, but it was interesting to see how each of the kids were handling Nell's death. Theo's guzzling booze and gets drunk, <laughs> which I totally appreciated because um, she's like, I'm, t- I'm having a drink every time I want to punch something. Yeah, so I, 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 I love, love that. I love yeah. the uh, – so she's, she says that shortly and she's hanging out against the wall and Steve some, says something along the lines like, well, what do you think, Dr. Crane? And she says, punch. Punch. Takes a drink. <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally love that. And I was like, yep, got a little bit of Theo. You know, Cheryl, she's the tough one. Uh, she's taking it all in. She's comforting the other family members and I think that's her um, – funeral director coming out in her. She's not so much the sibling in that moment. She is in some parts, but I think she's taking on the role of funeral director. It's my job to comfort the family. So that's what she's kind of doing. Steve is just freaking losing it. He's seeing ghosts. He's starting to get drunk now because he's, he's feels like he's losing his shit. Well, in Um, that moment where he walks up there with Luke, because it's kind of the you know, it's like the thing where he's like, oh, well, Luke's – I got to be there for Luke. Like, Luke's going to lose his shit when we walk up there. Mm-hmm. And he walks up there and he sees her and he sees him to start – he's like, yeah, uh, yep, that's her detective. Yep, case solved. And, like, you see him walk around and just, like, completely, like, break down, which I felt like was such a real moment. It is me. real. Uh, so, I'm mean, again, actors, writing, everything on this was really well done. When you like, – like, again, you felt like you were watching this family dealing with their grief – which is mm-hmm. re, you know just so so impressive. It was really impressive and it feels like that like, I feel like I was probably present at a funeral like that. That's how you see these different people and how they handle their grief and the feelings that they feel and how they choose to deal with it and and yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Luke, he looks like he's been hit by a train. I mean, he looks like hell. We know he just got yeah. the shit beat out of him in in the, the when we watched him in the twin thing. Um but he's sober and we do worry about him because he's only 90 days sober. Yeah. And you're well, like, oh man, if this if anything's going to bring it back, it's going to be this, right? That makes mm-hmm. him want to to use. When his whole family's sitting there getting wasted and he I didn't see him like look to long for a drink whatsoever. So No, and he's the one out of all of them that seemed to be holding the shit together. Yeah. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, Luke's uh or uh Theo's she's she's drinking, Cheryl's got up this wall and playing funeral director. Um poor Hugh, he he's he's pretty calm throughout all of it, even while Steven's going at him and, and, and in his face and he hasn't lost it, but he, he, you can tell he hasn't moved on from the past. He's still kind of stuck, but it was interesting to see that, um, Luke out of all of them, he's the one that they're talking about. Like you said, when, um, you know, they're, they're talking about him before he even gets there, like, Oh, great. We'll, we'll get him when he's coming down and he's going to throw up on his dead sister. Yeah. Um, they're, they're worried about him and they're the ones losing it. Luke, the entire time is, hanging back he's he's trying to like he'll he'll kind of say something when somebody says something really uh below the belt but he just stays back as they're all arguing with each other 
and just kind of stays stays out of it in, in a lot of ways. And I'm like, he's the one keeping his shit together. He's the one only 90 days sober. And he's, you know, he's visibly upset about a sister. I mean, that's a, not just a sister, but his twin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, of course, having trouble reconciling that she's killed herself and what's happened. But he's the one holding his shit together better than anybody um, at this point. Um, so I just, I thought that was interesting. Just that title and the storm that's happening um, inside, not outside. And so what is your number two? Yeah. So my number two, uh, it came right at the end and we see Luke and Nell as kids because she, she just says like, Hey, like, Oh my God, like I was here, I was screaming and Mm. Luke and her are kind of having this embrace. And he's like, Oh my God, I thought the house got you. And you're kind of seeing this cut back and forth as he's looking back at her casket and you hear him say, like, it's kind of mumbled a little bit, but it's him as a kid. And he says, don't ever do that again. Ever. (laughs) And, you know, in this moment you're seeing this and you realize like his biggest fear in life has just happened. Yeah. Uh, He lost his twin sister. They had their twin thing. Um, I'm not sure how much in communication there were, but. I kind of feel like if anything is going to push him to completely be sober, because again, like, so in this episode, he's, you know, he was asking like, wait, you talked to her? And like, no, I didn't get it. It's like, well, what was she worried about? Like, you know, what was going on? And I said, well, she sounded fine. She was worried about you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as a, you know, a person, you're like, okay, oh my gosh, like, did, did her worrying about me let her guard down enough that I'm the one that caused this? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like if I was more sober, like if I was in this state, would she have called me and I could have been there to help her? Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of subtle in there too, but I just think it's, it was a very like, I, I mean, we, we talk about getting goosebumps a bunch of times, but like in that moment as they're flipping back and forth, like the hair just raised on my neck and, and it wasn't a fear type of goosebumps. It was like a, oh my gosh, like. The realization. Yeah. This is just, this is so emotional Mm-hmm. you know, emotionally draining for all these characters and just us as watching it that you just, you worry about them. So, but yeah, that was my, uh, my number two was just like, don't ever do this again. And unfortunately she did. I know it was Devin. I mean, it, it wasn't a super, there was a few scary moments because we get, we saw, um, bit neck lady but again she wasn't scared. She's more cause she kind of popped out of nowhere and it was kind of like, Ooh, there she is. Okay. Um, and then seeing Olivia. So there were a couple very small little jump moments in, in the episode, but it was more focused on family and the, and the dynamics, which I loved and appreciated. I like how we got a little bit of that break. Um, but that those last few seconds when young Luke is standing in front of her and he says, don't ever do that again, ever. I thought the house things had got you. I thought they took you away. And in the end, that's what happened. The house things did get her and they did take her away because, you know, we we hear Luke is vehemently believing that Nell did not kill herself. She did not do this on her own. And Hugh believes the same thing. And they were talking about that, you know, when everyone else, you know, was out trying to get lights on and trying to figure out what was happening and stuff. And they're there in the main parlor. Um, and it was just absolutely devastating Uh that end when he's walking away and turns around and, and he's looking at her and it cuts back and forth. I cried, um, not as much as during Bent Neck Lady. I didn't I barely have any tears left after <laughs> watching that episode. Um, but that end got me. And again, yeah, I had goosebumps too. And it was again sad. Again, she says, I was right here. I didn't go anywhere. I was right here. I was right here the whole time. And then again, 
we see Nell as bent neck lady standing by her casket as Luke had walked away. And again, just reinforces that not only was she there in life, then no one heard her. She's there in death and no one hears her, sees her except for um, Hugh. Um, so it's just, ugh, sad. Can't talk about it. That was good. Good number two. Well, my number two, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I don't have any answers, but I just want to talk about it, about what happened to Olivia when uh, they're looking for Nell. So when they're off looking for Nell, uh, Hugh's in one place. He goes off to get some his flashlights going out, and she's up there looking by herself, which you just know nothing good is going to come of it. Didn't you just expect something to happen? Yeah. Kind of uh, more scary than this, but I think this was a really way interesting way to open up because we talked a little bit about last episode about something taking over Olivia. Like, you know, things are coming to light and I feel like we're getting tiny little peaks. And I think this was a big, okay, now I think we can say for sure something is happening to Olivia in this house. The house is doing something to her. Um, So when she's looking for Nellie, she sees the ghost of a boy in a wheelchair. That, And he seemed friendly enough. He's just like, hey, I'm just trying to get through here. I want to get out. (laughs) Saturday morning, cartoons are starting. Yeah, I'm out of here. And we heard her talk about in one of the other episodes when they were in that library and she put on that shawl and she was talking about, oh, I've got deja vu. And she's talking about what she sees and she talks about uh, the books on the lower shelf for the little boy in the wheelchair so he can reach them. Mm. So I'm guessing this is probably the little boy that she's talking about. We saw the the old lady confined to her bed. Which was probably uh, the girl that owned the tea set would be my guess. Either that, and I think the one, the reflection of the ghost that Theos, or sorry, was it Luke? Which one Luke saw it in one that, that little it, think, that little yeah. phone thingy? That, I think it was Luke. Yeah, yeah, you're right. When he and Nell were playing uh, and throwing the buttons down there, I think he saw the reflection of this old lady confined to her bed. Um, so anyway, she, all of a sudden, after she sees that little boy in a wheelchair and she kind of follows him as he comes out of the room, she goes into like this like fugue state. Where she's just walking around the halls and she's evading Hugh as he 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 comes up the stairs and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And he's following her, he's calling after her. Um, how does she keep moving past him without him seeing her? I well, mean- I'm wondering if like uh if that wasn't her, because we know Nell says she was there seeing everybody. Mm-hmm. So did that happen to Olivia too? Did she go into the same place that Nell was where she oh. was there but not there? Because she just reappears. And when you see the girl walking around, it's a very menacing thing. And she walks down a dead end. Mm-hmm. She's standing in front of a mirror that explodes but doesn't explode. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not real sure about that. But it's, oh, again, it's just it lots of questions, very few answers. Creepy as hell. And when she's standing in front of the big window above the stairs, above the landing there, and the glass, the window like comes oh, yeah, in yeah. and shatters. Um, and then he looks away, and then he turns back, and the window's no longer broken. Yeah, it's fine. And she's not there, but she's sitting in the hallway, pretty close to where she was when she went into like this like really strange fugue state. Um, so that was weird, and... She tells Hugh that she doesn't remember where she was or what she was doing. And we heard her say earlier when the the episode started, all the kids had come down and the chandelier had fallen and they come down. He goes, where were you? You weren't in bed. She goes, I don't know. 
I think I was just wandering, like I was sleepwalking or something. I don't know. Mm. And then before she could elaborate and go on, you know, then all the kids start coming down, um, yeah. scared by Each the, one na- of the noise girls of the saying a curse word as they yeah. come down. <laughs> I know it was hilarious. Um, so it, it was just interesting that that she was trying to, she kept trying to talk about it because then she was also telling Nellie, you know, it's okay uh, because Nellie just saw the bent neck lady when she kind of w- got whisked away. Oh yeah, um, and into that. I think it's like a little garden area. I don't know where all those kind of yeah fucked up statues, statues are. Like that, yeah, yeah. But did you notice? Did you get a little bit of deja vu in that moment as Nell starts? She was kind of circling around. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. like the last scene where she was, or the last episode, and she's dancing. Oh, it was very reminiscent and very scary. So she sees the bent neck lady, gets scared, tells her mom, and she's like, "It's okay. I see things too, but they're not going to hurt you." And before she could elaborate, because Nellie's like, "You see things too." And before she could continue and go on, she gets interrupted again. And I'm like, please, will you let her freaking speak? Well, the only bit she said in that, too, I think it might have been after. She's like, yeah, I see them. They're here, but they're not going to hurt us. They're not here to hurt us kind of thing. Right. Which well, doesn't end up seeming to be true. I don't know that the ghosts that we keep seeing. I mean, we know who the bitneck lady is now. And we know she's not going to hurt anyone. That's now. Um the bowler hat guy, I mean, he seemed pretty menacing, and we don't know what happened after Luke, you know, he was uh, lifting up the sheets under Luke's mm-hmm. bed when he was hiding the last we saw him. We don't know what happened after that because it cut away when Luke was screaming. He didn't look, he just looked like he wanted to find his hat. Yeah. Which was a nice hat, so I don't blame him. It was just, it was holding up after all these years. I think it was <laughs> worth it. He seemed attached to that hat. Um, but we haven't seen anything. I think it's more the house. Something menacing about the house itself is is what I'm going with. It's not, and and the house is like trapping people there and making them crazy. Because I feel like I'm starting to see that with um, Olivia now. So, just wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit, a little bit of peek into the mystery of not only what, maybe what happened that night, um, that last night, um, and and something about that house. I feel that we're going to get later. I hope. So that's my number two. So my number one is simply it's complicated. Oh, so okay. At the very end of this episode, they Steve starts kind of hackling on his dad. His dad says, "Okay, you really want to do this now?" Mm-hmm. And he talks about Miss Dudley calling him and finding Nell. And I thought this was definitely going to lead into like, "Okay, here's what happened to your mother," but that stopped pretty quick. Mm-hmm. We didn't get down that road too much. We just basically learned that Miss Dudley was the one that came in and found Nell. She apologized for throwing up on the floor. But that's all we got. And, you know, I think it's it's an extremely complicated situation right now because these kids are growing up and they want to know. And he keeps saying, like, I did this to protect you and protect your thoughts of, you know, I, it seems like he was trying to protect their image of their mother. Yeah. So, you know, we had talked about, like, did something bad happen in this house? And, you know... In the very, very early episodes, there's discussions of like there was Ouija boards and stuff like that. We know their mom is kind of in touch with the supernatural. We mm-hmm. know there are seances and stuff in this house before. At least that's what Miss Dudley said. So did did the mother do something that kind of sparked all this, maybe accidentally? And he's trying to avoid all those kind of memories flooding into them. Uh, but again, like there's so many questions still. Like not only is the the answer that Hugh has is complicated. It's complicated to us as a viewer trying to figure out what's going on. 
Exactly. And we, we, we've talked about it at least since the, the first episode because we were kind of opening with that in that first episode when he's rushing his kids out, you know, of the house on that night. And, and from there, we've just seen each kid's perspective on, on what happened that night and just little pieces, not a whole lot, just different perspectives of what did Theo see or what did uh, Steven see and things like that and just little things that have um, – and then, uh, you know, seeing Hugh coming back covered in blood, you know, just kind of, you know, in the last episode, you know, just kind of getting little bits and pieces like something clearly sinister happened. But whatever happened that night, he, I think he truly believes he's protecting his kids. Maybe they don't want to be protected. You know, Stephen's like, what? Protect me from what? From the truth? Yeah. Um, but clearly whatever Hugh thinks he's protecting his kids from, he thinks it's whatever – it's worth whatever the hell and misery that these kids have gone through for their entire lives since that night, because he thinks that whatever this is, that they are better off not knowing. And he accepts their anger, their distance and their disdain at the cost of keeping them safe, but they're not really safe. I mean, whatever he thinks he's protecting them from, he truly believes it's worse than addiction, night terrors, isolation, rage. I mean, he's willing to risk all of that to protect them from this, whatever the, this truth and whatever it was, it's so complicated. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I, I'm really interested to know what the hell it is that well, I, I is Steven, that. Yeah. I think Steven feels like he's being uh, selfish with that. Mm-hmm. But again, I think as a parent and you see it when he came in here, like I don't feel like he doesn't care about his kids. No, like, not I think at he all. truly he loves wants his to, kids, yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah. He wants to protect them. And even at the age they are now, he's still trying to do what he can to protect them. And I mean, as a parent, like it may be the wrong decision. Like you don't know, but you have to go with your gut. You have to go with, okay, I feel like this is the thing I need to do to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious again, like, again, we have four episodes. Is it the right decision, wrong decision? We won't know until the end of the series, but, you know, <sighs> just it's well, complicated. That's it all is I can complicated. Say. It's super it is, complicated. But it's complicated when you're a parent, and you know this. I mean, I know that your your little boy is still really little, but we we if you're a parent, that's all that you do is struggle with. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decision? Do I? How honest? I mean, I've. I, I like to be pretty honest with my kid. I've always tried to be very upfront and honest with her and be truthful and try to keep it as an age appropriate level. If she's a child, when she was a child and I would tell her the truth about something, it was age appropriate truth. You know, maybe that left me meant leaving out a few details just because she's not age appropriate for it or something. But the same as, as an adult, I, you know, try to be very open and truthful with her as much as possible, but we do want to protect our kids and we just have to do what we feel is right in that moment. And it's pretty harsh. You know, if somebody tells you, well, that's wrong. It's like, well, maybe to you, but I feel it's right. And that's what I have to do. And I really empathized with, with Hugh because, you know, I don't know what it is that he's protecting them from. I don't know what really happened, but he believes he's protecting his kids. And I have to kind of respect that, you know, in a way, because he feels that he's doing the right thing by his kids. He loves his kids and he's willing to risk all of that. He's willing to risk how much, they hate him and don't want to have anything to do with him to keep them safe. He could just spill the beans and say, fine, you want to know what happened? Here's what happened. But for whatever reason, he feels that's not the right thing to do that he is doing what's right. And, and I, and he's doing it alone. You know, he's, he doesn't have Olivia there. He doesn't have a spouse. He's doing it alone. So I really struggle. And, and I think it's really easy. You know, you can kind of look at, if you're not really thinking about it, you can really look at Steven and think that he's being a total asshole for the way that he's going at his dad. Um, 
but that's just his coping mechanism. He's needing someone to blame, and it's frustrating to see how he yells at his dad about, you know, uh, mental illness. Why doesn't anyone in this family want to embrace mental illness? Um, he thinks he's suffering from it a little bit himself because he sees his mom standing up there by yeah. Nell's casket and he's like oh god get your shit together and he gets another drink turns around she's still there and he thinks he's suffering from it and he's even closer too yes but he is seeing ghosts himself and he's still like yelling at his dad about all of this stuff and it's like dude you've seen shit and you're still yelling at your dad about it and so you know i i I can kind of see where he's going out of line with some of the things that he's saying but at the same time he's also grieving for his sister um at the same time, and he's angry that she's gone, and he fully believes that it's, you know, he doesn't want to believe it was a house that killed her. He just wants to blame it on mental illness, and he's projecting that onto his dad. And that's what we do when people die. We we all handle things in a different way, and that's how Steven's handling it. Yep, so that's just my number one. It's just it's complicated. It is so complicated. Hopefully we'll get some answers, and it will be less complicated. Um, my number one is Hill House. So we're we're getting more about Hill House, and we've questioned why some of the kids can see ghosts or some of the things that happen to them and others cannot. Some see ghosts. Some are hearing the banging on the wall. Theo feels like the entire house is cold all the time. Um so I feel like, you know, it's, it, we, we've questioned that. Well, why can't they feel it? Why can't they see that ghost? Why isn't this happening? We thought Olivia couldn't see the ghosts, but we hear this episode. She tells now, I see them too. They're not going to hurt you. Um, so Hill House, feel, it feels like it's selecting a few inhabitants and it's the house is showing them what they want them to see or something they or something that they fear to see, something they're destined to see or to be. It showed now she's destined to be the bent neck lady. Um, it's it's blurring the boundaries, I think, of time and space. We saw that last episode when Nell is going through time. Like she's trapped yeah. in the, she's trapped by this house. She's, I think, at this point doomed to suffer right now. And she was able to time travel. And so I feel like this house has a lot to do with that. There's something happening here with this house and it makes things spill over from one to the other. And that's the theme we keep getting told, right? We keep getting told how the nightmares are spilling over into our wakeful state. And we heard that in the last episode too. And then Hugh tells that to his kids about the night about, well, you're not seeing a ghost. It's your nightmare spilling over when you wake up. And I feel, but I feel like it's, I feel like we're being given clues about Hill House. I feel yeah. like they're I feel like we're getting answers thrown at us or we're getting these little clues and if you're able to put them all together, uh which I don't think you can do on a first watch, probably not even a second watch, you can kind of, you know, you'll see all that they're feeding us and being put together. And um and I think that this is what happens to Nellie during the storm. She says she's yelling and waving her arms and no one could see her. So where was she? Yeah. Or when was she? So it's like this This is what makes this series so good. I mean, even if they didn't have all of this, it's just so good anyway, even just with the traditional scares and haunting that we have. But now this goes beyond a traditional haunting in my book. This is now making us and them, the characters, wonder what is here and what is when. Because yeah, where the hell point. did Nellie go? Where did she go? She said, remember, she said she was freezing. Her mother grabs her. She's like, you're freezing. You're cold. I, I mean, you take this to an extreme. Like, what if they're all still trapped in the house? 
I don't know. Like, what if they're? What if this isn't real? You know, what if they're a family still trapped in this house, and this is the house's way of messing with them? (sighs) You know, like Steve really isn't this famous writer. The house has made him think he is. I mean, there's, I mean, that's what I love about stories like this because you could take it a million different directions, and all of them could potentially make sense. I know. That's it's so many questions with this one because. I feel like now we're getting little pieces of of what this house is about and it's it's scary. <laughs> Scaring me. But that's my number one. I like it. Did you have any notes? Uh I've got a couple notes, kind of just things that were said or done. Um at the very beginning when Theo and Shirley are looking at Nell, um, Theo's already kind of a few drinks in, and she says she doesn't look like she's sleeping. You know, she mm-hmm. says every movie, everything says that they look like they're sleeping. She looks like shit. And she asks, it's one of those things where it's kind of a, and she apologizes like, well, I mean, you've done a great job mm-hmm. because I guess it's just one of those things like you don't realize, oh wait, your sister's put in a lot of work to try and, you know, she's dealing, that's her natural. way. Yeah. yeah. And she kind of, I feel like this is like an uncomfortable question that kind of slips, but you don't really want to ask it, which is like, well, how bad was she when she came in? Mm-hmm. And Shirley's like, you know, like, are you really asking that? Yeah, you know? like, do you, do you really want me to answer that? Is that? Yeah. Are you just thinking out loud? Because if you if I tell you, you're probably not going to be able to handle it. <laughs> uh, we talked about the drink every time you want to punch something. That was good. Uh, which I'm going to use that line the next time I'm in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The other one I thought I, I kind of picked up. I think I probably noticed this, but I feel like the character Steve and the guy who plays young Hugh, they seem like very very similar in their mannerisms and the way they deliver things. I'm mm-hmm. really, really impressed with that. Yeah. You know, as young Hugh is talking to the kids with the flashlight, like instantly like it's like, you know what, you could probably put the guy who's playing Steve in that position yeah. to play young Hugh. Uh, and I had to actually just research. I couldn't remember if if the guy who's playing old Hugh is the same one playing young Hugh. They are different people. They are different characters. Which I guess I didn't, I didn't really put two and two together on that. Uh, the Santa story we touched about a little bit. Um, oh, uh, we haven't touched on this. So, well, there's the buttons on the eyes, which Ugh. everybody's trying to figure out what they did. But yeah. really kind of part of the complicated thing, too. Shirley goes down to the basement, and she's trying to get – I think she's going to go get her makeup to, to fix uh, Nell as she fell down – as the casket fell. She opens it. She opens uh, one of the rooms and she sees her husband and what looks to be like – I had to rewind this because it looks like Theo is trying to kiss him. And I, yeah, that's he's in kinda, my notes. He's kind of holding her back a little bit. It's, it looked like to me. Yeah. like It didn't look like a, oh, my God, we just got caught making out. It was like a, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Which made me think, do you think whenever – because like we saw when Nell hooked up with that one girl, she got super drunk. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that helps numb some of her abilities. And so then that's when she can open herself up to do things like that. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, She doesn't like to be touched. We saw in this episode. Oh, yeah. You know, because Stephen came in, he was hugging all of his siblings. He gets to Theo and he like takes an action like he's going to hug her or embrace her. And she just kind of puts her hand up and he's like, oh, still not a hugger, huh? Yeah. And then when she falls and they go rush to try to help pick her back up. Uh, don't touch me. Don't touch me. She goes into hysterics. So she clearly doesn't like being touched. I guess it's not just her touching. Uh, well, and I guess we saw that in, in her episode with Mrs. Dudley. It's not, she has to touch yeah. something. Anything can touch her. When Mrs. Dudley put her hand on her shoulder, she could feel Mrs. Dudley. So um, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, maybe, I mean, 
I think we see that drugs and and booze can typically numb. I've I've heard both. Like Those, it can numb or it can enhance. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, and then the last thing, as she sees her husband potentially trying to make it with her sister, she walks by, and in her room, there's the the guy with the whiskey glass giving her a nice little cheers. Yeah, James Who Lafferty. Is this guy. I don't this know, is, but I'm always happy to see It's going to be like the see. rabbit from Donnie Darko. It's like, what the fuck does this mean? I know. It might mean nothing. It's just... Yeah, some, just a ghost in the house. But it's interesting, the timing that we see uh, this this person come up in, in Shirley's uh, imagination or whatever when she sees these visions of him. You know, and this time she sees him after she has just, what she thinks, caught her husband and sister in some type of, like, romantic embrace or something. Um, so it's interesting that that's the timing that we saw him again. But I'm always happy to see that fella on my screen. He's a cutie. Yeah, um, I like that. Did you have any other notes? Nope, I that's jump? all my okay. notes. That's good. He was in my notes, too, just mentioning that he's back. Don't know why. And please, can we figure out and get the story on this guy already? Um, my question is, what is happening between Theo and Kevin? I don't think I don't think that they were messing around. I think there's more to it. It certainly didn't look good. I'll give you that. It did not look super innocent, but I just I don't believe that – those two are messing around. And I know that Theo's a lesbian and doesn't seem to be interested in guys at all. That doesn't really mean anything because I feel like, Hey, you can just be who and into whoever you want to be into. Um, so I, I, but I don't think that, I don't know. I like Kevin. I think Kevin, um, as Shirley's husband is a, a, a decent guy. So I don't really think that there was something bad there, but what was it? Um, you touched on who put the buttons on Nellie's eyes. We see the whole time this was happening as the argument was in, I don't know what you call that room, that front room where they were all in with the couches and the parlor where Nellie was. They're arguing and the camera's going in the circles that it goes into. And so you see as it's going in circles, the the background of Nellie's coffin. And so it happened sometime during that time. So, um, so yeah, who did that? So we keep getting glimpses. No one was standing there. They were all there. Um, So who did it? Um, And they don't know either. Uh, Luke and Hugh had the conversation. uh, Well, we know it wasn't any of us. We think we can pretty comfortably say that. That part gave me huge chills when that happened too because you don't know what it is at first. She walks up there. She's like, who the fuck did this? And it was kind of like a scare because I think the family knows the buttons mean something. Like they remember it. And you walk up and see that and it's just like, oh, yeah, well, and Olivia called Nellie Button, like a nickname. Uh, yeah. She said, oh, I don't remember exactly, but like, oh, come here, Button, or something like that. And then Nellie's uh, little tin of buttons that her mom found, like she must have just really loved buttons. And so maybe that's that was a little nickname that her parents called her or her mom called her. Um, so I think that was kind of um, interesting that those were placed on her eyes. I like how... There was I talked a little bit about it earlier the cha- the change that we got from young who young Hugh to present day Hugh young Hugh did not believe in ghosts he was just trying to protect his family and um, do what he needed to do uh, flipping that house and uh, making something for his family so they could live in one place and be in their forever home older Hugh Crane now seems to believe in all of that now he believed Nellie when she said the bent neck lady was back when she called him that night that she died and, and oh, killed yeah. herself. He he totally believed her, and he's like, go to Stephen. You know, he didn't try to discount her or dismiss her craziness or anything like that. Like the other, the rest of the family was. He he what? believes her now, and he, it seems like he now understands that the 
house has a life of its own. Yeah, and he well. mentioned that to them when he's like, I talked to her that night, and she said the bent neck lady was back, and that's when Steve kind of went into his tirade of, yes. like, oh, you've enabled we this since we were kids. Like, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. So I like I like that that change that we've gotten in Hugh uh, from the older to or the younger version to who he is now. Um, oh, we talked already about Luke about how they thought he was going to be the problem and he was actually the most chill. Um, and then Kevin again. I want to just mention Kevin Shirley's husband. I feel like he was the real MVP of <laughs> the episode. He's like, "Can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? Can yeah. I get you a drink?" And I'm like, "Dude, I want That's you his at every funeral." Mechanism. He turns yeah. into a butler. <laughs> but it's like he's—I don't know—he was just really funny. And then whenever he, when he, in that argument, he was like, "Well, I talked to Nell. She said she saw the bent neck lady." And Kevin's like, "Who's the bent neck lady?" And <laughs> It's just this guy and the dude really deserves a medal, in my opinion, for being married to Shirley. Um, oh, yeah. She's she's a, a tough person. And I feel like it would be a real challenge to be married to her. And uh, I thought he did outstanding, not just for being married to her, but I think he was really great in this episode. So to me, he was the MVP. Um Looking at some of my favorite lines, we talked already about someone should have told her she didn't have to try this hard. I like that Nell wrote her dad letters every month, that they weren't all as isolated as what they thought um, because Nellie was writing letters to her dad every month and she was keeping him up to date on what was happening with the family. She didn't talk about herself, but like the Santa letters, she was telling Santa what her siblings wanted. She didn't say what she wanted. And in those letters, she didn't talk about herself. She just talked about the family. Um, so I thought that was nice. She was still just keeping in touch with her dad, even though everyone else has kept distance and, and written him off. Um, again, Luke now knows Nell is the bent neck lady. Um, Hugh now knows that. Um and then Nell, or I like the conversation that Stephen and Hugh were having. Uh, Stephen says, you see what I'm talking about? I don't understand why this family has such a hard time acknowledging mental illness. Um, and then Hugh finally does just, he's like, do you really, you know, I'll tell you. And he says, Nell didn't, Nell didn't kill herself. The house did, or I'm sorry, Luke says that. Um, he says, you don't understand Hill House, Steve. You never did. Nell, Luke, they could see its face clearer than you kids. Uh, your mother saw it too. Um, he said, and anything I did, I did it for a very good reason. All this bullshit about um, a haunted house and you don't get it. So I, I really like that. Um, and that's all my notes. That's good all I got. Notes. Good episode all in general. It was really good. And like I said, those last few minutes just really um, brought it home. So sad. Brought that sadness right back in again. And I'm interested to see what happens next. Okay. So because this episode was so focused on the family, which I thought was great. I thought that this was where it was appropriate. It was really great. Um, there there was one hidden ghost. There was somebody that said there were none, but there was one hidden ghost. And um, because it was so remarkable and such a technical achievement with the, with the long shots, uh, there was a hidden figure about 38 minutes into eulogy. Something is watching Hugh from a room behind him. So this was young Hugh. As he's standing in the hall of Hill House, there is a, just a, you can see a face peering hmm. from behind a door. Um, if you're looking at the screen, it's on, it's behind uh, Hugh's right shoulder. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And that was the only one that we saw. Um, we saw Olivia. She was not hidden. We saw Nella's bitnick lady. She was not hidden. So that was the only hidden one, I think. And I think they didn't need it for sure um, in this. We also have, so we talked a little bit about the long shots and the technical achievement in this. And so this is a little bit long, so I apologize, but bear with me. This is Mike Flanagan himself. He's the director of the show. And this is from his Twitter account, Um and so I'm going to read this. And like I said, just bear with me, but I think it's it's worth it. Um, he starts, he says, I've gotten a lot of questions about episode 106 of Haunting. Netflix released an awesome little behind the scenes video, but for those that want more information, here, here's a little thread. Episode six was part of the very first pitch for the show, promising an episode that would look like one shot. Most of the camera choreography was actually included in the script itself, which meant that the draft for episode six was a really tough read with camera pivots, left tracks, right down, left aisle, keeping Steven in MS profile, breaking up the dialogue. The sets for both Hill House and Shirley's funeral home were designed with episode six in mind. They were built on adjacent stages and had to accommodate a hallway that would physically connect them so he could walk directly from the funeral home to Hill House in shot one. The sets needed to include hiding places for crew and equipment, specific lighting rigs, and even a handmade elevator that would lower into place from the ceiling to bring a cameraman to the first floor for shot four. We began doing weekly walkthroughs of episode six immediately in prep. We initially intended to shoot at last to give us as much time as possible. Budget issues resulted in the studio moving the episode up to the beginning of our third production block and rapidly accelerating our prep time. Production was shut down. Rehearsals for episode six began March 6, 2018. We rehearsed daily with our second team stand-ins who performed the entire episode as actors as we learned the camera, lighting, and acting choreography. They were heroes and made the whole thing possible. The episode was comprised of five long takes. Three took place in the funeral home, two in Hill House. We would rehearse one segment while another was prepped, programmed for lighting, and then switch. Sets were still being painted and constructed to accommodate the episode. Massive rain effects were put in both stages and specialty lights were brought in to create the lighting. The water would sometimes flood the sets and the studio initially didn't want to pay for the extra lighting lights and proposed cutting the storms from the episode entirely. Uh-huh. <laughs> The actors arrived on March 26 to begin rehearsals. On their first day, we sat them down and showed them the entire episode shot on a DSLR, I don't know what that is, with second team performing. They could see each shot executed successfully and see the goal they were trying to achieve. Rehearsals began in earnest. The actors would be on one stage practicing the scene and the performance while our camera operators worked on the other stage with second team to continue refining camera blocking and lighting cues. There were hundreds of individual lighting cues, not only for effect, but also for beauty lighting. If a cue was late, an actor wouldn't be lit properly. If an actor missed their mark or if a cue was early or late, it meant actors went dark and you'd see a camera shadow. We finally began shooting on April 6, 2018. We shot in episode order, so the first shot was 14 pages in Shirley's funeral home. We did tech rehearsals in the morning and finally just started shooting in case we got lucky. We only had to get it right once. Their first segment involved hiding the younger actors playing the crane children around the corner in the living room so they could run in and replace their adult counterparts during a 360-degree move around Tim Hutton. The adults sprinted back into place a moment later. We also had to swap a dummy at Victoria Pedretti from the casket and help young Violet McGraw climb inside and be still. Because remember, we saw the switch of young Nell and older Nell in the casket. 
We did this change while the siblings talked about Hugh flying in coach on the airplane. At the end of the shot, we followed Tim through a hallway that leads directly through the doors of our other stage onto the Hill House set. The shot ended a moment after the chandelier fell in the background. The length, 14 minutes, 19 seconds. Was that one long shot? We began shooting the second shot the following day, which was seven pages long and took place in Hill House. Our initial worry about putting this much pressure on the youngest of the actors proved to be a non-issue as they uh, knew their lines cold and even the adults' lines. Lots of almost complete takes on this segment, but the technical issues of this segment were pretty daunting, particularly timing our bent neck lady with the lighting and making Nell disappear. We finally got a complete take in the afternoon. Length, seven minutes and 25 seconds. The third shot, the third segment was the most brutal, 18 pages shot in the funeral home and requiring thunderous emotion from the cast. They started seated, which meant we had to keep the camera on a peewee dolly to handle the height differences. We pushed a dolly through the entire shot. It was a beast. We could never make it to the end, and the dolly was slowly getting harder to push because we found out later the wheels weren't meant for carpet, and carpet fibers were getting inside through all of the rehearsals, putting enormous strain on the transmission. We went to lunch without getting a take, and the grips told me that the dolly had a big issue. The transmission chain was strained and close to breaking from the rigors of rehearsal. They figure we might have one more take before it could break. There wasn't a replacement dolly. We didn't tell the cast. I didn't want it to get in their heads. We came back from lunch. I said, I've got a good feeling about this one. And we held our breath. Believe it or not, we got it. We got the take. They took the dolly, turned the wheel, and the chain broke. Length, Mm -hmm. 17 minutes and 19 seconds. The next day, we did segment four, which was our most difficult from a technical point of view. Lots of swaps, windows breaking, the elevator gag, etc. We ran this all day. The pressure was on Carla and, and Henry. Time and again, we'd made it make it all the way to the elevator and mess up. The smashing windows in this segment are a digital creation, but we had to teleport Carla around the set. This was done using a photo double for some moments and having Carla run through secret access portals and others. We got the shot late afternoon after dozens of aborted attempts. Length, 6 minutes and 13 seconds. The next day, we did the relatively easy by comparison fifth segment, which aimed in at 5 minutes and 31 seconds. Production was murder and almost killed us all, but it was the easiest edit of my life. Took took 10 seconds. So the ep... Episode is 53 minutes and 38 seconds. About 51 minutes is comprised of five shots. It was the hardest thing most of us have ever done and the result of the combined efforts of hundreds of people. Mad respect for the cast and crew. Um, He goes on to compliment um, Netflix and Paramount and Amblin. They all rallied to give us what we needed to pull it off, even though it was a huge risk for them and there were no guarantees that it would work. On a final note... um, at Kate Siegel, um, that's his wife, who also plays Theo in the episode, just FYI. He said, uh, she and I learned she was pregnant with our second child the night before we filmed. Segment three made me really nervous every time I saw her fall down. Added a special layer of nerves to the stress of the episode. Ooh, I bet. Yeah, as a, as a person who edits podcasts, which isn't the <laughs> same as movies, but I've edited three like short films I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can respect the 10-second edit. It's like, <laughs> all right, click, 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 done. Take it to print. Yeah, I know that was really lengthy. So thank you if you stuck stuck with me through that. But I just I thought it was hearing it from the man who put it together and and wanted to do this. And and I know he he and everyone, the actors, the crew, everyone did all of this together. But I thought it was really interesting to hear him talk about how it came together and the technical side because I think it's just really I find it interesting. So hopefully um, everyone else did too. If you want to actually read it yourself and get more of it, it is on his. Um, Twitter account. So 
Thanks for listening, guys. Okay, with that being said, we've got some messages from the room beyond that red door. Listener feedback. All right, so our first one comes from Lindsay Slitch. So this episode was uncomfortable to watch. They did a fantastic job of capturing just how difficult a funeral can be. The confusion, the desolation, the sadness, even sometimes the anger. I love them showing the dad seeing his children as young rather than adults. I don't have kids, but I know a lot of parents see their children as young forever. Lots of confusing stuff for me this episode, too. When did young Nell go when she was lost in the house? Or where did she go? What was the big wolf creature the kids saw? And what was with the guy that was... Uh, sorry. What And what's with the guy with the drink Shirley keeps seeing? A past affair? Uh, Nell standing all bent and decomposed by her casket all alone was heartbreaking and terrifying to think about. I love how it ties into when she was lost as a kid and said she was there all along, but no one could see her. Very sad. Was very sad. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, the wolf thing was interesting. I'm curious. Uh, all the kids said they saw red eyes except Steve. So I kind of feel like he, again, is kind of playing a little bit dumb to the the supernaturalness of this. Well, but also he was the one that said, uh, he said, even I saw it. Yeah. Because he admits even as a kid that he doesn't see what everyone else is experiencing there in Hill House and just kind of like, you know, I don't know what y'all are talking about. I ain't seeing shit. But even he spoke up and was like, even I saw it. Um, And of course he carries that into adulthood as well. That whole denial about any sort of supernatural and just wants to dismiss it as mental illness. Um, Which I'm not saying that's not playing a part. That could totally be a part of it. We don't know, but I think it's dismissive to say that that's all it is. Um, We also have an email. Uh, This was for last week's episode from episode five. This one kind of came in a little bit late, so I didn't get to it, but I'm going to read it um, for this week. So this is for episode five, Bent Neck Lady. says, hi, looking forward to hearing your coverage of episode five. Scariest episode so far, and at this point, my favorite. First two episodes, I got chills from head to toe. I've resigned myself to watching the show in the morning on the treadmill, and I almost fall (laughs) off of it. Don't do that anymore. Uh, One note, psychiatrist played by Russ Tamblin, who also played an unbalanced psychiatrist in Twin Peaks, Dr. Lawrence Jacoby. Oh, well, that's interesting. If a show is ever like Twin Peaks, this one kind of is, right? Um, She goes on to say, also, the backwards writing on the wall by Liv was another part that gave me the chills. And the ending. With each drop that the bent neck lady made, I was in disbelief and horror that it was poor Nell. Thanks again for your insight and discussion of this amazing show. I'll try to stay upright as I watch it. Carrie. Yes, Carrie, please don't fall off your, of your treadmill anymore. When you, <laughs> um, try to watch it sitting down or lying down. Thank you for that. Okay, we also have a voicemail this week from our good friend, Steve Brown. Hey, Raymond, Sean. It's Steve and Peg. <laughs> we just finished watching Two Storms. <laughs> Is that the name of it? Yeah, this was think, Two Storms. Okay. Yeah, with, with with the casket falling over and, and the whole thing. What did you think, Peg? I really liked it. It is... This show continues to be really heavy and really deep, for sure. And just exponentially more creepy with each episode. The more diving a little bit deeper into the spirits and the ghosts within the show. I like that a lot. I like it. I like it. I'm the same way. I really like Theo. I like what she did in this, in this episode being very, she seemed very clear and kind of the way she would speak. And she, but when she, when she slammed Kevin about, then Kevin becomes a waiter. I thought that was, we all laughed. Real sassy. (laughs) sassy. Really good. Uh, (laughs) The, the creep factor was really up. I, I can't think it's, Gosh, it's so fresh. But what, what else? Was there anything else that stood out to you? 
Um, we had we kept mentioning just the editing of this episode between flashing between the past and the present. Just they're so clean with those edits every time. Just from the lighting of a candle to opening a door to walking, you know, turning a corner or whatever. Just the panning circles around. Yeah. Oh, that's so. It was so <laughs> very. Uh, what's Aaron Sorkin with the whole circling thing? But yeah, the lighting of the candle, the opening of the doors, just just amazing. Really a great all around episode and can't wait to hear what what you guys thought can't wait to hear uh, and uh, just see the rest of this show i, I can't wait to to rewatch the last four episodes and uh i know pake has been watching from the beginning yeah so I'm, I'm going week to week with you guys so this is all new each episode and i'm i'm stoked to see what happens next very cool all right talk to you guys later all bye right. <laughs> yes yeah, so we get a little steve brown and pake on one phone call Woohoo! Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Thanks, guys, so much. And thank you to everyone that always takes the time to uh, leave some feedback, uh, taking the time on our Facebook page, on Twitter, sending us an email, um, and taking the time to send us voice messages. I love communicating with you guys. Um, if you email me, I will respond. Can't promise that same day because who knows what the hell I got going on that day, but I will respond. Um, and on Facebook too. So thanks everyone for taking the time. Um, yeah, it means a lot. Thanks everybody. All right. So this Friday we'll be covering the seventh episode from the haunting a hill house titled eulogy. So the description for this episode is as the cranes gather to say their final goodbyes, a flashback reveals Mr. Dudley's connection to the house and exposes a secret in the walls. (sighs) Finally, could we be getting some answers already? Yeah, maybe a few. They're not gonna give it to us all at once. Right. Um, Well, we're really excited for you to join our paranormal investigation for updates from Hill House. You can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can check us out on Instagram at Strange underscore Indeed underscore pod. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. And you can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Make sure to go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed and all the other great podcasts on Apple Podcast. And speaking of great podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Yeah, this past Sunday we did a Stan Lee draft to honor him. And then the following Sunday we are going to have our live podcast release that we've been talking about. So if you're curious to check it out, it'll be out next Sunday. Nice. And also, if you're doing a little shopping for the holiday season, check out in our show notes. We have an Amazon link. Uh, No extra cost to you. Gives us a little bit of a kickback, and uh, we'd appreciate it if you could take the time to click that link. Yeah, it's still shopping season, folks, so check that out. Yeah, I just bought a can opener, so Amazon's like the one-stop shop of like, (laughs) I need something, boom, can opener, got it. I know. I bought dog food. I was like, too, I was like, I just don't even want to go out and buy dog food and just (laughs) have it delivered to my door. (laughs) All right. Well, that's our episode. That's our show. Episode 67, Two Storms. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Derek W. is strange indeed.